It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in because we're continuing in this amazing study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, as an expository church, going through the Bible verse by verse, we've been going through this journey now for several weeks. If you've missed any of the prior broadcasts, feel free to go to calvaryfountain.com and there you'll find our archive archive of all of the previous video sermons, as well as this radio show into a podcast form, all there for you at calvaryfountain.com. Again, I just want to thank you for tuning in. We are picking up now into a new study here in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 12, as we now look at spiritual gifts. We have spent the last few weeks looking at really this discussion of head coverings that ultimately led us down the path of understanding some a little bit more about the roles of men and women uh, in marriage, in the church, in society, uh, really understanding just a little bit more about God's design that would emulate the church, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. A, a very uh, beautiful assessment when you really dig down deep into the layers. And so here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, picking up in a brand new study here. This is going to take several weeks to get through, because as we go through chapter 12, looking at spiritual gifts, we're then going to get this uh, another sort of lens to look through here of understanding what agape love is of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then even more into spiritual gifts, specifically the topic of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So this is going to take us a few weeks to get through this, so just be patient as we go through this series. I believe that you will be blessed by what you're about to hear in this study because it has become a very divisive issue and it shouldn't be as such. Uh, We've allowed churches to be defined by spiritual gifts or certain expressions of gifts or uh, discussions on this. It's like uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. We've allowed this to divide churches. There's just so much that we allow to get in the way of the unity of the body of Christ. So let's just really go through this and read it for what Scripture has to teach us on this. And I believe that uh, you're going to be hopefully uh, equipped with a, a new understanding of God's holy word. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, before Paul launches into his discussion on spiritual gifts, he, he wants us to focus first on the common work of the Spirit in each one of our lives. So, so let's read here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay, now now the phrase there, now concerning, reminds us that Paul is responding to another question from, from the Corinthian church. Okay, so again, they, they've issued to Paul several questions. He's been responding to those throughout the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians specifically, and then of course we'll get into 2 Corinthians later. But it's worth notating that the word gifts is in italics. If you have your scripture there and you're reading it, you'll notice that The word, it's unusual, it seems, now concerning spiritual gifts, and gifts is italicized, meaning that it's not in the original text. You need only go back to your Greek lexicon to discover this for yourselves. The noun spiritual, pneumatikos, 
can be rendered spiritual gifts, spiritual persons, or spiritual things. So it's likely that gifts and persons were so closely connected in the Corinthians' minds that Paul used the word spiritual to imply both. And this is the baseline for what I believe will be some clarifying points on the subject of gifts especially as we examine prophesying and tongues, very divisive issues. So Paul will use the word gifts later on, but the the intent here, I believe, is to demonstrate that being filled with the Holy Spirit, i.e. truly being spiritual, and having a gift are inextricably linked. You cannot separate the one from the other. You cannot have the Holy Spirit and not have a gift. And that's why Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant or unaware of the vital points he's about ready to share here. I mean, this is a recurrent theme, a phrase in Paul's letters. We see that in Romans chapter 1 and 11, 1 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 1, even 1 Thessalonians 4. So it was one of his ways of introducing a significantly new topic, something of great importance. So the word unaware comes from the Greek word agnoeo, which means not knowable or not known. He doesn't want them to not know this. And you see, Jesus Christ spoke to this when addressing that gifts come to the children of God by way of the Holy Spirit. Let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. He says, also, if you have a son who comes to you and asks for bread, you are not going to give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a scorpion. Or if he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a serpent. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So why would God give us a gift or gifts with the presence of the Holy Spirit in us? I mean, in our study two weeks ago, we were reminded that the Holy Spirit marks us as belonging to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. But it doesn't end there. I mean, God has a plan and a purpose for us. You go to Ephesians 1, 16 to 18 and Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. I cite those specifically because a lot of times uh, we like to use some text out of context. <laughs> we know that God has a, has a great and mighty purpose for our lives, and sometimes we just need to be reminded of that uh, frequently throughout Scripture. So again, Ephesians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 13 are great citations for that one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So he gives us grace gifts, if you will, to do every good work. So that Paul reminded the Ephesian, the Ephesian church, the church there in Ephesus, uh, he says, For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that means what it means. We have a job to do, and God prepared and equipped us to do this job. And he did so through the Holy Spirit and the instructions given to us through his word. And as we've been in our study of the book of Matthew on Sundays, uh, we have assessed that quite clearly here, that the Lord Jesus twice during the Sermon on the Mount put great emphasis on prayer. 
that you can't do this alone. You need divine intervention, divine enablance, if you will. I, I have to be enabled to do this because in my own strength of the flesh, I will fail. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do the work that God has called me to do. So the point will be made once again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Paul will stress this again in Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we are all equipped with the ability to do God's work, that it may bring him glory. So whatever good comes out of us is because it's from God who both wills it and does it, according to Philippians 2.13. So the only part you have to do in this is to be obedient. I mean, listen, God doesn't even need you to be alive to use you. <laughs> and you probably think, what did you just say? That's right. You don't even have to be alive for God to use you. That's how much credit goes to God for you being a conduit of his greater work. In 2 Kings 13, 20 to 21, sometime after Elisha had died and been buried, some men were burying another body in the same area. The grave diggers saw a band of Moabites, uh, these raiders that were approaching them. And so rather than risk an encounter with the Moabites, they threw the man's body into Elisha's grave. And then scripture says that when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet in verse 21. So God will do the good work through you by way of his Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. He is going to be glorified. You're like the Ark of the Covenant on two legs. He is in you, working through you to his own glory. <laughs> you go to Matthew chapter 3, John 14, Luke 11, Acts 2, amongst many others. And again, I cite these scriptures a number of times throughout our studies because I need you to know this is not of man. Anything that I'm going to teach you and guide you through God's Word has to be based in God's Word, not my opinion. So I, I cite a number of scriptures throughout our study. If you ever want these sermon notes, please reach out to me at calvaryfountain.com. Email address is there, contact form. I'd be happy to send all this to you because I want to equip the saints for the work of ministry so you can go and teach this likewise. So the evidence of all of this is by the fruit of the Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit equips us, and out of us comes the fruit, the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul states in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what fruit then do we see in this inner working? To, to learn that, we go to Galatians 5, to 26, where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is 
is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So number one, there are spiritual resources given by Jesus Christ to enable a Christian to serve in their predetermined calling, according to Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians 1 and 4. So there are also behaviors exuded from the inner work of the Holy Spirit, as we see in Ephesians 4 and Galatians 5. These are coupled with spiritual armor, that's provided by God to guard the chosen servants of the Most High from Ephesians chapter 6. We call all of this gifts, fruits, and provisions. So you got to remember, the, the Corinthians were a gifted church. Let's go back and reread that. 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance, that's words, and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, they had the gifts of, from the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, 13, 18 tells us that. However, at the same time, they were struggling against the flesh, perhaps more so than most of the churches that are cited in Scripture. They were a church of divisions, immorality, and distortion in doctrine. And so this serves to remind us that a great spiritual gift is no indication of spirituality as we are daily being sanctified, conformed, to the image of Christ, according to Hebrews 10, John 17, 2 Corinthians 3, amongst many others. So listen, you may be a mess right now, <laughs> and some of us can give a big amen to that. You may be a mess right now, but still have the Holy Spirit, and with it, the gifts of the Spirit. And it seems hard to imagine that God would use us when we have days when we feel like we just can't even tie our shoes. And it's possible to be gifted and not spiritual. You see, Paul will address this battle of the mind, calling it a war waging within each of us to do what we're supposed to do while the flesh tries to draw us away from it. In Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 22, I love that the Apostle Paul was that transparent with us, even helping us to identify with him that he was also conflicted, that his flesh was waging war against the spirit, that his mind was being tossed to and fro at times, knowing what he was supposed to do while the flesh was trying to draw him away from that. So in this case, the Corinthians were spiritually gifted and not applying those gifts correctly, nor properly recognizing the source of it all, that it was truly from Jesus Christ to make them a spiritual people. So as a result, uh, Paul informs the Corinthians that he does not want them to be unaware or ignorant. So as we progress through chapters 12 to 14, we shall see that the Corinthians are emphasizing the gift of tongues above everything else. They were, setting, they were setting that 
particular gift apart, aside from all the other gifts. They were creating this sense of a uh, spiritualism, if you will, a sensational and experiential culture that had missed the mark. I mean, demonstrating that you can even appear spiritual while not being spiritual at all. And we see that danger in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. So this is something that Paul addresses very clearly in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. Let me just highlight some of those verses in 2 Timothy and, and, and even in 1 Timothy. Let me start off with 1 Timothy here. 1 Timothy 3, 1, 5, and 7 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness but denying its power always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, listen to that. They can be having this form of godliness that appears spiritual. They appear that they are doing it right, almost like, you know, as you assess the landscape while Christ was giving the Sermon on the Mount, it appeared that he was around very spiritual people, but he was demonstrating the brokenness of their hearts. And that these are individuals who are able to learn but never able to come to knowledge. They would even deny the truth. So Paul has to bring about order in the church and remind the Corinthians that all of God's people have gifts and are equally valuable to the health and vitality of the church. You see, if if the gifts are truly spiritual as the person should be truly spiritual, not manufactured through the flesh to appear spiritual— then it's from Jesus Christ our Lord, and it cannot be used to alienate, divide, or to distort the truth. So otherwise, it wouldn't be from Jesus Christ. And we see that from Romans 16 and Ephesians 4, Mark 3. So since we're called to be of one mind and one voice as we glorify God, according to Romans 15, 6, I believe it's important that we get our arms around this subject of spiritual gifts because it has been so misused, so misunderstood. And listen, I'm speaking from a very conservative viewpoint. If you come to our church and you hear how we teach verse-by-verse expository, you wouldn't probably label us as a Pentecostal church. So what I'm going to do is give you a clearer understanding, I believe here, of spiritual gifts and, and help us all to create balance in this area and understanding of this beautiful thing that's been given to us that has now been misused and created division amongst us. And, and that's not what we're to be to be doing as a church. We're to be united, one voice, one mind, to glorify God the Father of Romans 15, 6. So in light of the fact that true spirituality includes gifts from the Holy Spirit, who is working in us and through us to do God's work on this earth, I don't believe we could support the idea that gifts or even certain gifts have ceased after the apostolic age since they're highlighted in multiple places in Scripture without a caveat. We can clearly see that the miraculous works will occur through the two witnesses even in Revelation chapter 11 verses 4 to 5. So although the miraculous signs of spiritual gifts were used to authenticate the message of God's messengers, and that's what often people believe is is why that these miracles happen, simply to authenticate the messengers, and we do see that in Acts chapter 4 and Exodus 4, 1 Kings 17, even John chapter 2, I have witnessed, personally, I have witnessed too much in my short lifetime to in any way suggest a limitation to the work that God is still doing around the world through his faithful servants. So the only text that seems to support the idea of cessationism 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 to 10, can be interpreted as a reference to the time of the new heaven and new earth. And we'll talk about that specifically when we get into 1 Corinthians 13. Only love will endure throughout the eternity that God has created since God's work through the church, the body of Christ, in a sinful world will come to an end. So, in fact, there will no longer be a temple after the thousand-year reign of our Lord in Revelation 21. So, of course, those gifts for good works will come to an end, but love will never end according to 1 Corinthians 13.8. So many who support the idea of cessationism believe there was a period of closure for the gifts, specifically tongues even, or even miracles. And again, we'll talk about that a great deal when we get into 1 Corinthians 14. Even John MacArthur, whom I respect greatly, will argue that all spiritual gifts have ceased as the church grew by the work of the Holy Spirit. However, of the spiritual gifts listed of Romans 12... 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, even Ephesians 4, or even 1 Peter 4, which gifts do we determine have ceased? I mean, what, what do the scriptures teach us if we look at it as its whole? From Mark chapter 9, verse 23, we read, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If we look at John 14, 12 to 14, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then you see Christ's statements on moving mountains in Matthew 17, 20 and Matthew 21, 21. So these statements didn't just apply to the disciples and apostles for miracles that were being witnessed by others who were speaking in the name of Jesus. I mean, some were even rebuked by the disciples for doing so in Luke chapter 9 and Mark 9. But Jesus had to set them straight. In fact, let's read that. Mark 9, 38 to 41, it says, Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So bottom line, I, I think it's dangerous to suggest that there is an end date to the words of Scripture unless it's specifically told to us as such. And he says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, here's the warning we need to heed in all of this. We're told by Jesus that there will be those who do not believe in him, yet try to evoke his name and then cite incredible events or certain, uh, some, certainly some, you know, some illusion of these incredible events. Let's, let's read in Revelation, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 to 23. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So perhaps this is part of the great delusion that Paul warns us about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. After all, a miracle by definition 
is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicably or by nature or scientific laws something that can be defined or or even considered to be an act of nature. I, I mean, it's of a divine agency, and it was also something that was demonstrated through some extraordinary signs and wonders, uh, which is where we get the Greek basis for the word miracle. It's a sign, it's a power, it's a wonder. So there are four primary Greek words that are translated as miracle. And this is where sometimes we fall short, that we try to lump all translations by perhaps one word that we have in the English, just like the English word for love, when there are seven words in the Greek, because there's so many variables to love. I can love pizza and I can love my wife, but it's not the same use of the word. And so in the Greek word for miracle, works, which is ergon or wonders, teros, powers, dunamis, or signs, semion, these are critical to understand because it will help guide our discussion regarding verse 10 with that with better clarity on this. We have to understand there's now four words for the word miracle. So we, we got to understand that in proper context. So Christ warns us of false prophets who will do great signs and wonders or possibly the illusion of them to deceive, if possible, even the elect. As we see in Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, Matthew 7, amongst many others. So we're told to use discernment and to test the spirits and to see if it's from God in 1 John 4, 1, even Deuteronomy 13. So let's pause there because we've got a lot to cover. That was just verse 1. We haven't even gotten into verse 2 yet of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I told you this study is going to take us some time because there's so much that we need to understand to create a baseline for this discussion with so much confusion out there. So I, I, again, I know that you're probably going to have to listen to this again. If you want the sermon notes and you want to get ahead and read the whole series uh, specifically on spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, we're happy to send it to you. Again, this is a broadcast, a program of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, and services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. Our website is calvaryfountain.com. If you'd like to learn more about it, you want to get involved, we would love to just go deeper in God's Word with you. Again, this is a, a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. God bless you. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk to you soon.